Hello, listeners, friends, Beyond Words family. Welcome back to the show. It's been a while. In fact, the following episode was recorded several weeks ago, and we're just now getting around to releasing it for you uh, because after we recorded that, a lot happened for both of us. So, from my side, uh, my daughter was born uh, right after we recorded this. So, it's a big deal. <laughs> And I think that in an upcoming conversation, I'll share more about that and the experience of becoming a father and the birth experience and this kind of initiation that it's been these past few weeks since she was born. It's amazing. It's a beautiful journey. It's had its challenges as well. And her birth was a surprise in terms of how early she came. And there was definitely some drama with that whole process. Um, but all is well now. Mother and baby are happy and healthy, and uh, it's just an amazing, beautiful journey. So I look forward to sharing more about that in a future episode with Felix. And Felix, on his side, also went through quite a journey, an experience, after we recorded this episode. So uh, I'll let him share about that when he's ready. Uh but it's interesting. It's fascinating. So, so much to talk about coming up. But in this episode, uh, we discussed, you know, it's been a while, but I do remember uh, we discussed a book that Felix uh, discovered called The Fourth Turning. And there's actually a video about this topic on YouTube, but essentially it's discussing these cycles that societies go through and how we are in one of these cycles right now. It's one way to look at the events of the world and the events of humanity and put everything into context and you know I for one actually find a lot of comfort in these ideas of cycles because even in my own life I notice the ups and downs the ebbs and flows in terms of how I feel and in terms of my experience and starting to really recognize the cyclical nature of my life and uh, so when I get into those periods where I'm a bit withdrawn or feeling like I'm in a funk or episodes of depression that still come at times I'm able to recognize now that this is part of this cycle and even when I'm in those states I can see the bigger picture and know that okay well this part of the cycle will come to an end and I'll move into feeling amazing and connected and inspired and creative uh, again so uh, we can zoom out and, and apply these this cyclical nature to societies as a whole. And it's if you really look at it, look at history, they say history repeats itself, and it's true, it really does. And I think that viewing the world in that context can help get some get a healthy perspective. And hopefully this discussion can portray that. Felix uh, did a great job explaining this uh, this this book. The Fourth Turning. There's a video on YouTube that summarizes it. Highly recommended. Uh, hope you enjoyed this episode of Beyond Words that, as always, is brought to you by our loyal and faithful supporters. Thank you all, uh, those of you who support us um, through Locals.com. You can find us at beyondwords.locals.com if you want to be a supporter and support this podcast. Of course, we are deeply grateful to all of you. So, uh, thank you, supporters, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. And we also want to let you know that we are hoping to become more consistent again with releasing this podcast. 
course, I mean, the past few weeks have been very eventful, so uh, that's that. But let's see where this all goes. Thank you for listening, and have a beautiful, beautiful journey with Beyond Words. Welcome back, Beyond Words. <laughs> it's good to be back. Good to see you, Felix. Good to see you. Well, some time has passed. I feel like it's been a couple of weeks, but... Yeah, I guess it's been... Time flies. I don't even know. I guess it's been about two weeks. Time continues to fly. Every day is just... Like, right at the end of the day, my Marta and I are like, wow, another day is already passed. I feel like I just got out of bed. It's just like, boom, boom, boom. Time is flying. But I feel like it was kind of like this before COVID, but it feels more exaggerated during COVID because of it's a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of repetition during the day. So like, you know, we wake up, drink our coffee, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's like, oh, we're going to bed. So we're going to watch our Netflix. And that's like this very strange loop. It feels very similar to the last day. It's kind of like Groundhog Day. Yeah. Can't really do yeah. anything excitingly. I mean, you can. I shouldn't say that. I'm I'm limiting myself, but I yeah. know what you're saying though. There's a lot more routine like structured in. I think it's also accelerated because, at least for me, after everything we've been through in the past year, everything I went through, uh, like I don't know, maybe I have more appreciation for every moment. And the more I appreciate it, the more fleeting time is. It, it's it's like, oh, there goes another day. There goes another day. Um, I don't know. The whole year, like just being faced with, am I going to die? Is civilization collapsing? What's going to happen? You know, it's just really embracing, enjoying each moment. You know, I find myself just enjoying each meal. Like lately, I've actually, since we got to Berlin, I've been kind of like just fascinated with how food gets transported places like in the city of millions the supermarket is always full of people buying a shit ton of food that's not grown right here and they're always stocking the shelves and sometimes i i kind of freak myself out like where the hell is this food coming from and like like what would it take for the supply chain of food to be interrupted and what would happen like i kind of get like nervous sometimes you know I, I just I think COVID really awakened my apocalyptic fears sometimes and yeah and so I'm just really grateful every time we have a nice meal I'm like damn thank thank god this is possible and, and just enjoy every bite and this fresh produce and all this stuff like where the hell is it coming from I don't know uh, in the middle of winter you know in Berlin eating fresh salad and spinach and tomatoes and the shit doesn't grow here that's for sure in the sacred valley at least you know it's probably from within a few hundred miles you know uh, yeah it's crazy well not to pull you into a rabbit hole there's a book called event x and in event x it kind of talks about the a major issue of our modern society being that everything is based on supply chains and he's like in this theory in this book is that if one piece of the supply chain is broken as they get longer and longer and longer, then eventually we'll have no food or something like that. But that that kind of made me think of that. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. I do think about that often, but I, you're right. You know, being here in Peru, it's, it's a lot easier to be like, Oh yeah. You know, my neighbor grows broccoli and has chickens and there's eggs over here. I get my eggs from up the road and yeah, but yeah, I forgot that Western society has this kind of like, uh, yeah, different set of chains in between or like links in the, in at the least cities, your food. Yeah. yeah. Cities do. I mean, the same in, in Peru, if you're in Lima or even in Iquitos, like it's, it's a bit different, you know, I think sacred Valley is kind of a breadbasket, but, um, you know, one, one vision, one goal that we have is to, you know, have our own land and live somewhere where we can grow food and have chickens and have neighbors with chickens and growing food. So that'll help, I think, just bring a little more peace of mind to the, where is our food coming from question. Uh, but it seems to be working pretty well. The supermarkets are, are full as of now. So <laughs> mm. knock on wood. <laughs> I'll knock on wood for you here. Thanks, um, man. <laughs> well, it's crazy too, like how that apocalyptic mindset is really, it ha I feel like that has settled in for a lot of people. Even for me, like Saf and I, we recently started watching like the Hunger Games. We watched V for Vendetta recently. Uh, we're kind of on this apocalyptic movie or post or utopian society based movie binge right now. Cause it, it's scary now, like watching V for Vendetta. I'm like, wow, that's actually happening. Or yeah. watching Hunger Games. It's like, uh, there's a lot of similarities. I don't know yeah. if that's good or not. <laughs> totally, man. Or if you want to go really extreme, you watch like Mad Max. And like some people oh, are God. like, that's where we're going. <laughs> yeah. Or watch 1984 or, you know, or read 1984, George Orwell. You know, who knows? But a lot of these, yeah, these possibilities that were just fictional before, now they seem a little bit more within reach, you know, and I think COVID exposed the delicate nature of our society. And I mean, overall, I think society has pulled through all right. I mean, most places at least, um, you know, food is still being delivered and people are still eating. Although I hear in India, it's a total mess, you know, people are starving. And so, yeah, man, uh, I don't have time to think about it too much. I'm just like, <laughs> got a kid coming and all this stuff. Like who knows where it's going? I'm like, I'm okay. Even, you know, part of me, sometimes I think about it and I get freaked out and then I just take a breath and it's like, well, whatever is coming is coming and I'll just do my best in each moment. And if there's an apocalypse and I die and we all die, well, that's one life in the books, you know, probably one life amongst many. And it's, it's okay. You know, <laughs> like I've had those thoughts, you know, like, <laughs> like if shit really hits the fan, like, all right, well, what's the worst that can happen? This body dies, you know, <laughs> like really, but really considering that um, and seeing it, like it's actually not that big of a deal, <laughs> you know, this body dies. I mean, I don't know what happens, but I do know that once this body dies, like all the freaking out about this life and the apocalypse will end, <laughs> like the freaking out will end immediately and it'll no longer be a concern. So, so, uh, Hey, it's okay. Like that's the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is all of our concerns go away.
<laughs> so true. Well, I think that's kind of what brought me into this, this video that I shared with you about the fourth mm -hmm. turning. Like, uh, you know, again, it's that, that kind of sitting in the morning, reading the morning news. And it's immediate that I feel that sense of urgency or the sense of like, Oh God, it's the apocalypse or we're, you know, we're screwed. And this incredible video turned up on my feed called the fourth turning, which is actually, it's like a book report. This, this gentleman did on this book he read that, that changed his life. And uh, the fourth turning, the, the, the book is called the fourth turning an American prophecy by William Strauss and Neil Howe. And what it points out is kind of the, the cyclical nation of civilization <clears throat> And, and this one, this particular book was pointing out more the cyclical nation or uh, nature of our nation of, of America. But I feel that this is pretty much applicable to every country or every, probably even the world in its own mm -hmm. way. Um, but yeah, so in this fourth turning or in these cycles, these are cycles of 20 years. And he says it's basically the entirety of this cycle is the length of a human life, anywhere from 80 to 90 years. And he says in the beginning of this cycle, we have a high. So we, we come out and it's a very upbeat era. Um, we've just overcome something and, you know, we're, we're feeling great. And so this era for mm -hmm. America was 1946 to 1964, which was the end of World War II. Uh, it was the beginning of the space program. Uh, there was an even distribution of wealth. So like people working at a gas station could buy houses. Uh, and this ended with the assassination of JFK. The next cycle, which is the awakening is from 1964 to 1984. Uh, and then in this period, it's like a lot of, uh, well, it's the awakening. So this is like Martin Luther King Jr., uh, the birth of LSD, Bob Dylan, civil rights, women, uh, women rights or female rights. And, and this era ended with Ronald Reagan uh, in 1984 to 19, or 2008. That They call that the unraveling. This is kind of like the downward push of this cycle, uh, which is like LA riots, 9-11, the fall of Berlin, Berlin Wall, the Afghan war. And this gangster ended, rap. Gangster rap. Yeah. He's like, this is the best era of music, which is so true because it's like Wu-Tang and, you know, Tupac and all these great artists uh, that I enjoy, of course. But uh, this ended with the financial crisis in 2008. And so we're currently right now as humanity or even as Americans in this cycle of this fourth turning, which is the crisis period. And this crisis period is from 2008 until 2028. Approximately, so we're, we're, right? Yeah. Approximately, yeah, 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 yeah. We're, we're, what'd you say? I think you said like we're- We're two thirds two of the way through, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I love that. That was, that was great. That was a nice little reminder. I'm like, oh yeah, I thought, yeah, I thought we're done. Um, but, you know, this really began with that fin financial crisis in 2008. And we can see ourselves in the middle of this crisis because of political divide, COVID-19, uh, 40 million people are jobless currently. Um, so this is kind of the scope of, or like a, a framework of what this, this turning looks like. <clears throat> the, the thing in this turning though, is that it keeps turning, which is the kind of the, the good part. 
And this is where, you know, as I'm hitting my lows, watching the news and like, oh, you know, things are getting worse. And, and, you know, look at India, it's getting worse, it's getting worse, it's getting worse. Well, we're currently in the middle of this, this this phase, which is meant to be, it's a natural part of this cycle for the rebirth of the high or this rebirth of a, of a higher something. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the author of these, these, these authors of this book were basically saying how this is a very natural cycle and it's almost as essential, if not more essential than a forest burning down or a mountain burning down, Mm -hmm. you know, it has its, it has its roots in, in rejuvenating and re recreating a new society. We have to kill the old to become the new. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I know that you watched it and I, I want to kind of get your impression more on it. And so it was just kind of a brief overview of what this is, but. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was fascinating. Um, and just to, you know, some points that he made in the video and I think the book makes this point too. I want to read the book. Uh, the book is written in the, Oh, are you still hear me? It was frozen. Yeah. yeah. You still hear me. Yeah. The book is written in the late nineties. Um, and, you know, I read some reviews of the book and some people were like, yeah, it wasn't exactly accurate, but pretty spot on in terms of how things have played out. Um, and, you know, I saw one guy wrote a comment about it as it relates to these four turnings and in relation to, to human beings. And he says, so uh, hard times, which I guess would be the fourth turning, right? Uh Mm-hmm. which is what we're in right now. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times, which would be the, the first the turn, high. right? The, yeah. the high. Good times create weak men. Weak men create hard times and the cycle continues. Uh, so I thought that was interesting because um, it's an interesting observation because when we go through a crisis, obviously it's hard, but it also hardens people and people become resilient. And then people become really focused on what's important and what matters. And by, by regaining that focus, they kind of set the table and set a, a framework to create a better world and a better society. And then their children grow up in a much easier environment. And, you know, depending on how they're raised, there's a lot of factors, but the children have it easy. And that's great because that's what they wanted as parents for their kids to have it much easier than them. But because they had it easy, maybe their children then just don't grow up with any sense of urgency about, you know, uh, like keeping, they, they don't grow up with the sense of that life is hard and they kind of coast through life and and structures kind of fall apart that were there for a reason. And then the cycle starts over again, you know? Um, I think it's interesting right now, you know, you know, as it relates to all of this, you see so many people just like questioning, questioning, uh, and, and I'll just speak for the United States, questioning the government, questioning the laws, questioning this and that. And all of those structures were created as a result of hard times and they were created out of a necessity to uphold a society so people can live a good life. And a lot of people want to tear all that down now. And I think a lot of it probably needs to come down just, you know, as part of this process. But at the same time, it's just so interesting to me how forgetful we are as human beings. It's like, 
you can read the history books about what's happened over and over again, these repeated cycles, and yet it looks like we're doing the same thing. And, you know, one example is like people are calling for communism, socialism again, when like that is clearly not a good idea. We see what happens when that is tried and it doesn't work. And it looks like, you know, people want to try it again and probably come to the same conclusions and hopefully not go through the same, you know, horrors and atrocities uh, from the last time that was tried. Um, but yeah, I found it really uh, fascinating. It's also interesting that it's, it's about the length of a life, you know, and, you know, those kind of same cycles play through life in some way. It's like a hero's journey in a way. You can also like look at it through that lens of the hero's journey of mythology of Joseph Campbell and how he describes a hero's journey where you go on this adventure and there's hardships and then you, you come home and you come full circle. So um, yeah, it got me thinking a lot. I can go on and on, but yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts about it too. And yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the first thing it kind of initiated in me was more of an optimism, I guess, mm -hmm. towards the overall outcome of where we're going. Um, it was actually a relief to hear we're in the middle of the crisis turning, I, I, which is strange. I don't, I don't know why that hit me such a in such a deep mm -hmm. place, but it's like, oh yeah, like okay, here's our challenge as this generation or as this part of this turning. Um, Another little part he points out in the book is the roles of each generation or the archetypes yeah. of each generation, which I thought was super interesting. Um, so like for, for the boomers, they call them boomers, uh, from 46 to 64, 1946 to 1964, their role is the prophets. So they're kind of here to predict what's, what's here to come. He named Bill Gates as one of them, which is really interesting. <laughs> uh, because Bill Gates did predict a global pandemic. Uh, he did predict that computers would be in every home. And he was right. I mean, he was right for both of those things. Uh, the Gen X are the nomads. Uh, the example of the nomads was Elon Musk. And the job of the nomads is to bring movement, to bring change, or to bring like kind of a shaking up. But within that, the nomad's job, unfortunately, is to clean everything up that we've done. Clean up the mess. <laughs> clean up the mess, you know. So, yeah. Sorry, nomads. Uh, that's kind of your, your job there. So sorry, Gen Xers. <laughs> or sorry, yeah, Gen Xers. That's 1964 to 1984. And then from 1984 to 2008, which are the millennials, uh, they say are the heroes. Uh, his example is the Parkland High School people, uh, the frontline workers, the hospital workers during this pandemic. And they're going to be like our war heroes from World War II. And then the Gen Z, so the 2000 people who are born from 2008 to 2028, uh, they're the artists, they're the, the activists. And so we really have no idea what they're going to produce or what they're going to push for us in the awakening period. They're going to rebirth so, the new, right? They're going to give birth to the new way of society and the world. Totally. And unfortunately, like the millennials, which I don't like, are the conformists because we're, we're supposed to bring the high. <laughs> we're cool. I don't want to be a conformist. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's an interesting uh, thing. But yeah, I guess these archetypes kind of give another structure over this crisis again. It's like, what what is it that 
I need to be doing to understand this crisis and hopefully to overcome this crisis myself. And, you know, I guess what these authors of this book recommended for people during these periods of time, especially during the crisis period and the unraveling is to build your virtues, to like build Mm -hmm. a virtuous mindset or to build uh, positive characteristics that can actually benefit the next turning. Um, Yeah. And I don't, I hope that we do that. I hope, you know, as even as this podcast, I hope a lot of our, or I feel a lot of our conversations are turning towards building better virtues or building better mindsets or building better characteristics, both for ourselves and hopefully for other people. Uh, I don't know how often for you, but for me, like every time I'm coming into this podcast, it's like the stretch in between the podcast has been, there's been some kind of challenge and then breaking free and and then we're back at the podcast and it's like, oh yeah, okay. So, you know, in this period of time, I learned, you know, um, resilience, Mm -hmm. resilience of what, you know, I don't know what that is, but so, yeah, I guess you're absolutely right in saying that kind of reflecting on these smaller versions of these cycles that are happening for us personally uh, in these hero journeys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think what, that what, yeah, build, like, yeah, the using this time to build these virtues, like to me, that's totally kind of what the path that I think you're on that I'm on that a lot of our community and people are on. It's just, I've just noticed really since kind of since 2008 in a way, you know, it was around that time that a lot of things started to happen for me in terms of firstly, just getting really depressed about my life and the state of the world and then wanting to make changes. And, you know, I think in a period of crisis, you know, we have two choices. And I, I really saw this clearly when I was in, in Africa and Gabon and when the pandemic started, I thought everything was going to shit. I thought I was going to die. It's just, and I had two choices. I could either let that, let the worst thoughts take over and just kind of like let the crisis dominate me and lead me into a panic and lead me into a hysterical mess. Um, And I think that can manifest in different ways, but it's like, you know, if you let the crisis dominate you, for some people that could just mean going into addiction or giving up on their health of their body or, um, you know, just zoning out on junk food and TV, you know, whatever it is we do to numb ourselves or to avoid. Some people will numb themselves. Some people will go into hysterics. Um, But I think the other choice is to like, in the words of, you know, what you said, like build virtues, like to to kind of like go on this path of self-mastery of learning tools and strategies to like really manage the crisis firstly internally. And so, you know, as I navigate this super uncertain worlds and there's, you know, a pandemic and all this stuff happening, like, you know, I have my ups and downs, but a big focus for me for the past year has been on health firstly, like, really learning about my diet and exercise and then self-defense, jujitsu, and um, uh, just different practices to help me be present and becoming aware of what, what feeds my sense of presence and health and what feeds a unhealth and dis-ease, you know? And so 
I think that's the blessing in this kind of a crisis is if we turn inwards and we really use it, okay, if the crisis is a teaching, if it's a teacher, if it's a lesson, you know, what is it teaching me um, in terms of how I can like learn to navigate this in the most healthy and functional way. And so, um, so yeah, like, as you said, like building these virtues for me, that's what it's all about. And then I think that gets passed on to the next generation. It's like, okay, the people that went through the hardships that really faced it, you know, uh, had to build some kind of resilience and virtues. And those who managed to do that, pass that on to the next generation who then build the next society based on those virtues, based on what they learned. And uh, yeah, so for me, that's what this is all about. And, you know, I go back to Gabon often, I think about that time often. And, you know, there's a point is right when the world was going into lockdown, and I was eating iboga every day. And, and I really like, at nighttime, I like the fear would just the energy of fear would just overtake me. And I would lay in bed, like paralyzed with fear. And my mind would go to all the worst places of like, what's going to happen. And I'm never going to see my wife or friends again, and I'm going to die here and all this stuff. And I was forced, you know, in that what felt like a very real uh, threat experience, I was forced to like use practices. You know, I've learned to meditate throughout my life. And I've learned to just, you know, focus on my breath and be present with my breath. That was the first time where I felt like that was the only thing I could do to get through that experience, to get through that crisis. And so I think, you know, in a broader scale, these kinds of crises um, really push us to develop practices, not because we want to be spiritual and we want to be enlightened, but because we have to, this is what we got to do to get through this. Uh, so I think that's the blessing of it. I think it's going to, um, in some ways, bring a lot more people to um, self-realization uh, that wouldn't have otherwise gone on that journey because they realize it's the only way in a time of crisis. Totally. Well, I mean, do you personally feel that through this time, you know, through these COVID times, these very challenging times, do you feel you have gained a lot? Yeah so much man um and i don't know i don't think i can quantify it but just my experience of life is dramatically different than it was a year ago or a, a little over a year ago um there's like I, you know just like we talked about at the beginning of this podcast like um just an appreciation firstly of each moment in life and appreciation for the food on my table that's not coming from you know i used to say thanks to my food but it it wasn't necessarily genuine or coming from a place of like knowing that that food is a blessing. <laughs> like now I really feel like it is, you know? So that's one thing I, th I think a lot has been gained. Now when I exercise, you know, I just bought like some weights and, and uh, I bought like a barbell and all this stuff. I'm not exercising because I want to like be buff. I'm exercising because I know the importance of being healthy and strong. I know what exercise does for my immune system and for my body and my like mental well-being. So I think this crisis has brought all of that so that I do these practices now, not from like a sense of like duty, like, oh, you, you know, it's important to work out and eat healthy and meditate. No, I do it because I feel like I have to. It's the only way <laughs> to navigate this experience, which is challenging. And I don't think we've even seen like we're not all the way through it and there might be more even greater challenges ahead for 
you know, our global society as a whole, who knows what's coming? Maybe we've already been through the worst of it. I don't know, but um, all we can do, right, is just every individual take self-responsibility to foster uh, physical and mental and spiritual well-being in the moment and then take it moment by moment from there. Yeah, I think, I mean, for both of us, we both started jujitsu in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> this life-changing martial art that's really brought new perspectives for us, uh, new challenges, new learning. And, you know, if I think about it now, if we would have continued as we, you know, as normal things were going before with busy schedules and having guests coming through, I don't know if I would have been able to stick to jujitsu like I have because of this pandemic. Mm. Um, so yeah, I definitely agree that there has been a building of new tools in this time. And I think you and I have kind of spoken a bit about how just the number of people that have reached out to us, um, just saying how hard these times are, how challenging, uh, or how depressing these times are, or how much they want to give up or how much they feel like it's not worth it. And, you know, again, I think this is where this fourth turning really hit me is because, yeah, of course, that that mindset is here and it's very present during these times of a, of a global pandemic where things are locked down, we can't travel. Um, it's it's so easy to fall into that mindset of it's over, we're fucked, you know, like what's next? There's nothing next, you know, but to see that there is this cycle that happens that has repeated itself and that we have made it through as humanity um yeah it really brought this new layer of hope and actually like it reinvigorated this desire to do better to do even better than i'm doing now like okay like what what can i really do to start building more virtues what can i do to start building better you know more intelligent me in some way or another um yeah and i think for for everyone you know for the listeners to understand our last 80 year cycles that we've all gone through as humanity or especially americans uh, the last 80 years was World War II. The 80 years before that was the Civil War. The 80 years before that was the Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. So we've made it. We're here. <laughs> yeah, we're here. If our last generations did it, we can do it. You know? Yeah. I, yeah. And, you know, like nobody from World War II, no one who really lived through that as an adult is alive anymore, you know? So it would be interesting, you know, if they were around to hear their perspective about what they're going through now. I think they would, a lot of those people would probably not be freaking out as much to be like, Oh, we're back to this kind of crisis again. Like to have that broader view of history. Like, yeah, I think that that view and the, the, the turning that every 80 years really is, I found it helpful too. I found it, uh, I found a sense of relief just and, and, you know, I've heard this before that, you know, history in the earth, we go through cycles and astrologically, everything's a cycle. Uh, and of course, like the planetary uh, geopolitical situation is a cycle and our country's development is a cycle. Everything's a cycle. And so that's really helpful to be able to step back and get that perspective you know, I think that's also another practice is just to simply have perspective and to really look at the bigger picture because um, it's really easy to get caught up in the day-to-day, you know, reading the news every day and, oh my God, that this crisis and the next one, or, you know, if you're into crypto, following the 
the crypto prices every day and the ups and downs and ups and downs rather than pulling back and seeing like a greater trend of something that's growing. Uh, so, so it's really helpful to read that or to see that video uh, to, to just get this sense of perspective, like, oh yeah, this is a cycle. We've been through this before. Yeah. And, that, and I mean, like for all the listeners, just don't give up. <laughs> like this <laughs> is, this is our test. This is our Breva. This is the place that we're being initiated at. And yeah, I think a lot of people, we talked, we spoke, spoke about this before where we talked about initiations and these great challenges that you kind of go through, especially in plant medicine world, uh, in jujitsu and in all these different things that have levels or layers. Well, that's the same thing as life. And I think a lot of people are so willing to give up as things start getting hard before they're ready to buckle down and all right, all right, what do I have here with me? I got my knife. I got this, I got that. All right. How do I make this better now? And I think we, I really need more people like that. I think we need more people to, to tell us, Hey, look, we're at the hardest point. We're almost to the top of the mountain. Like we really got to start pushing. We got, you know, our pedals to the metal. We have to start facing these things in a way that's better. We have this whole generation now, like, you know, I was speaking to my youngest brother, who's now 17. My youngest brother, who's now 17 has barely had any interactions with people because of how he's grown up. He's grown up in front of a television screen or in front of a video game screen. Uh, he's now living his school life, his high school life in front of a, a Zoom screen. And man, how would he know what it's like to go to high school? Like how we went to high school. How will he know what it's like you know, to, to be out in the world without a mask if we have to live with masks for another seven years? That'll be his normal. And it's like, I think finding our responsibility in these times and finding out how we can continue to push those responsibilities or build better virtues to, to push a better world for the next part. Like, I, I feel like I've been wasting a lot of my time kind of spinning my wheels. <laughs> like I'm building, it felt like a very selfish gaining in the beginning where I'm like, okay, like I want to gain jujitsu. I want to get really good at fighting, blah, 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 blah. I want to be really I want to feel secure in myself through self-defense. You know, I want to learn plant medicine so I can heal myself and eventually help share that. It, it felt there's still some selfish element into that where I'm not actually addressing the overall community that does need help. And I feel, you know, this book kind of, or just this video, because I haven't read the book yet. I will read the book, but just this video kind of shed a light on the necessities to embrace the overall community and the overall cycle. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This has me thinking so much, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. So what do we do now, man? Well, I don't know. I, I think I think you're you're in an even more potent place because you do have a child coming into the world that's a part of this Generation Z or the mm. Gen Z, you know, this new artist generation. Mm. And I think with kind of with having this foresight or this knowledge of like the potential of what your child could be as far as the artist whose job is to create the awakening or to build an awakening. 
Like, how do you support that? Like, how do you yeah. support your next generation? Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. And also I envision at least fatherhood for me will just be like, just creating a really safe and solid space. Like just being a solid foundational energy for this child to grow and blossom, you know? And um, I, I think that's really all, all I can do in that regard. And I think that, you know, if I extend that out to my community and society is just really um, using everything that I've learned and all the tools and everything um, to just be me, to be um, a solid, consistent presence. And also to be a vulnerable person to, you know, I go through hard times and to be able to express that honestly and express it as it comes up and um, show that vulnerability, I think is also another way to hold space for the next generation and for the current generation for everybody. You know, when I, even when I'm, you know, riding the subway here in Berlin or interacting, you know, with people in the shop, it's like, you know, uh, what can I do there? I sometimes I see people that are depressed or drunk or fucked up or whatever. All I can do is just like try to smile and like just be the light <laughs> if I can in that moment. Um, and so I think that in every moment, all we can do is just be just be our most authentic self firstly and to to always um whenever we can remember that this crisis is a teacher and at least that's how i see it this crisis is a teacher for me and it's reminding me uh what's important and it's reminding me um it's showing me tools and practices of how to live my life in a way that keeps me grounded and centered and uh, with perspective about the bigger picture of this whole thing. So I don't get swept up in it. I think that's the whole teaching. And we learn this again so that we can help usher in the next iteration, the next chapter. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think, I don't know, I, I guess knowing maybe more a bit about or learning a bit about these archetypes is, is kind of important too. Yeah. Like you're, you're Gen X, so you're the, the nomads. And I think, yeah. you know, your, your life really reflects that and like that nomad mentality. And I think that's, it's cool because it, it provides a, almost a purpose for us. And I think a lot of people now, because we're kind of shut into our homes or shut into our cities or shut into our countries or whatever, we've lost this sense of purpose or lost this sense of potential future, like long-term future. And, and again, that's kind of a false reality showing us that, okay, like I know that we have a lot of repetition as we, we spoke about during the beginning of this podcast, a lot of repetition in our days, but this is the short term. What's the long-term vision of this overall? What happens when we finally can go travel the world again? What, what happens when you have the whole potential to, to live a normal life again? You know, are we going to jump right back into a normal life or are people going to stay in their homes? Are they going to stay without a purpose living in that same cycle that they've just built during this crisis? Mm -hmm. like, like a bear during hibernation, you know, do I want to stay in the cave forever and wait for life just to pass me by on the outside of my cave? Or do I actually want to have to get out there 
explore my terrain, uh, regather food, reprepare myself, rehelp my children so they can do the same. You know, it's it's a challenge I think that we're going to face on the, the exit part of this. Have you ever seen um, Shawshank Redemption? No, I need to watch oh. it. I really do. I know, I know. <laughs> watch it tonight, man. It's one of the. Okay. I think it's probably a top five favorite movie of all time. But anyways, without ruining the movie, you know, but there's this, there's this one character. He's like uh, this old guy. Um, forget his name in the film, but he's the old guy. He's like 80 years old. He's been in prison since he was 20. And he has a life sentence, but they give him parole when he's 80 years old. They free him. And he's a super sweet old man. He's really like done his time. He can, he's clearly not a killer or anything bad anymore. And he's freed and he goes and you know, he gets a job at a supermarket in the town and he just like doesn't know how to live. He doesn't know how to live in society outside of prison. And uh, he ends up killing himself because he can't, he just doesn't fit in. He actually tries to commit a crime to be able to go back to prison. And in the movie, they're like, yeah, he's the other prisoners. They learn that he died. And they're like, yeah, he's, he's been institutionalized. Basically, it's like, you know, we can, we're very programmable beings, us humans, and we can easily adapt to any situation. And, you know, going to prison, when you, someone first gets to prison, I imagine the only thing they think about is getting the hell out of there. But they spend enough time there, you know, that becomes their program, that becomes the life that they know. And it's possible that being free is really uncomfortable. And so it is interesting to consider what happens as, human beings we become adapted to this you know virtual lifestyle where we're at home all day and we do everything through zoom and we watch netflix and people work from home and they go to school from home i think that you know like your little brother i think it's going to have an impact on that generation more than those of us who are older who have enough experience in the program of like being free <laughs> to to really want to work to get that back um, but these younger generations, you know, who knows how that impacts them. You know, I, I know that like teenage depression and suicide are like all time highs. It's really tragic, man. What so many terrible choices have been made in this, in the past year. And, you know, sometimes I have compassion for the decision makers, the people in power, because I think a lot of them just doing whatever, doing their best in the moment, but a lot of them, there's a lot of ego involved and a lot of sh just shitty thinking. And um, anyway, that's another story. But, <laughs> but um, I, yeah, I think it's important to, I think there's going to be a role for people to remind people of the importance of their personal freedom and the importance of socializing and being able to travel and being able to interact without a mask outside, like all this stuff, you know, and um, absolutely you know, it's going to be really interesting to really look back in a few years on to really assess the impact this time is having and will have had by then. So, man, sometimes I get really angry, you know, I get angry about how things have been handled. You know, for me, if one thing, this, this pandemic exposed so much and it's exposed like so much incompetence in the people that are the leaders of the world, quote unquote, political leaders, it's exposed that they're human. They're just like me. And yet they have all this power. 
and and a lot of them have all this power but unlike you and me and a lot of people that we know they don't listen to this kind of podcast they haven't drank plant medicine they haven't looked at themselves they haven't like you know really gotten to know their ego they have they don't have self-awareness and yet they have power over you know millions of people and making decisions that affect everybody and they haven't really gone through any sort of self realization initiation anything to humble them and i think that's that pisses me off uh i don't think those are the people who should be in power uh and so but I think that's another blessing of this time of this crisis. I think it's bringing that to light as well. It's bringing to light a lot of corrupt power structures. Um, it's bringing to light, you know, it, I just look at the U.S. political situation. I'm exposed to some of it in Europe too. But um, yeah, just look at it now. It's a total corrupt mess. It's, it's disgusting, you know, and and it's also so divisive, and everyone's divided. That's a whole nother story too, you know. Getting into that, like. <sighs> I could go on about that too. You want to talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, going back to what you said though, like it's so interesting that you related what I said to the Shawshank Redemption, which is a movie mm -hmm. about prison. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I hate to say, no, I, I don't hate to say this. I, you know, I think this lockdown was prison. I think people are seeing that they were just put in jail by their government very quickly, you know? And I think there's, that's a very unjust way to treat a pandemic. When we have the technology, when we have the intelligence to overcome disease, when we have the human body that has an immune system, when we have the, the pre-existing history that has taught us what these cycles do, the fact that we, we fell into it again, is it does make me angry. And I think that that analogy of a prison is absolutely correct. You know, I do really worry about these other generations that were already pretty much shut in uh, growing up with video games, with communicating online, like they, they don't have the experience of like running around out in the, in the mountains in the open field as a kid, getting lost in the woods, coming back, you know, catching snakes and God knows what blowing up random crap with fireworks. Like there was a very real visceral part of existence that I think you and I both experienced as kids man, I, as a kid, like I didn't want to come inside. Like I love being yeah, outside. It was, it was such a challenge to get me back into the house. And now it's like, you know, I think this is our gift as these generations who have had that experience of growing up outside of growing up in nature of growing up with our friends playing basketball or hockey in the, you know, in the street cul-de-sac, like we have that experience. So we know what it brings, like the importance of that, like that is a gift. And I think, you know, again, this, this reinvigorating of purpose for me of like, what, what do I wish I could really relate to these generations that grew up in their house with a mask on? <laughs> like, what do I wish I could relate to this generation? Who's afraid to be around people? Who's afraid to hug people? Man, I drank out of a hose. I used to drink out of our local stream back when I was a kid. Like I didn't worry about germs. I was in the I was covered from head to toe in mud growing up. You know, it wasn't it wasn't this thing, that's this what, idea I have in my head. That boosted your immune system being exposed to all of it. You know? Totally. Totally. Yeah. You know, it's, I it's interesting. Like I think this pandemic would have been handled really differently if humanity at large, especially leadership, um, 
understood actually the sacredness of life because they made all these decisions to lock everything down and, you know, in the name of preserving life and protecting life. But I think if they actually were exposed to, to the sacredness of life, and if they understood through some kind of initiation process that is lacking in our world, if, if they could somehow confront their own mortality, uh, plant medicine does a wonderful job of that. Um, and there are other ways, but you know, if leadership was wise and they had already confronted their own mortality and made peace with it, then perhaps they wouldn't have had a knee-jerk reaction of locking everything down. And perhaps if they understood the sacredness of, not of sacredness of life, they wouldn't have created laws and rules that prevent people from living life to the fullest and going outside and embracing life. Like, are we really going to, um, do we really want to like put off our life and our free will and freedom uh, in the name of something that most likely won't kill us. And especially considering the fact that we're going to die anyway. So it's like we are restricting people's lives in the name of something that statistically probably and most likely it won't kill them. And if it does kill them, they would have died anyway. And we're we're doing all that and we're sacrificing so much for that to avoid something that's not avoidable, death. And to avoid death from something that is in all likelihood not gonna kill us. And sometimes I just think about it that way. And, you know, and I continue to hear from friends and who got fucking really sick, coronavirus. And they're sick weeks later, man. And that freaks me out. You know, it freaks me out when people that that are healthy, like our friend is a yoga teacher and she got it and like, she kind of got over it after a week, then it came back and she's been like, you know, just totally sick for like a month now. And, you know, I hear that or I hear about, you know, friends who's like older uncles and grandparents, you know, maybe 50 years old, only 10 years older than me are dying, you know, so I'm not taking it lightly and I question the response and I don't think it's proportionate to the risk. And I think that we're sacrificing so much in the name of it. But then again, if we look at the big picture and we look at these cycles and we look at this fourth turning, it's like, well, maybe this is just perfect. And it's exactly what's needed right now. We need this crisis. You know, this crisis is bringing all this stuff to light. It's exactly perfect as it should be. And that's the other perspective. It's like, it, it, it's kind of like, you know, Hindu philosophy. It's like everything is exactly as it should be. If you read the Bhagavad Gita, you know, Arjuna is questioning, you know, going into battle because he has to kill on the other side of the battlefield are his like brothers and cousins and friends and they're on the other army. And Krishna is like this. I mean, I'm terrible at like, I'm terrible at, at recounting this Bhagavad Gita, but basically Krishna is just like, this is your fate. This is just like fulfill your destiny. This is, this is exactly as it's supposed to be. And so that kind of philosophy that views life is like, it's perfect. Everything happens for a perfect reason. Uh, and everyone has a role to play. Right. And in Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna's role is to fight that battle against his brothers and cousins and all that. And 
you know, so maybe this whole COVID thing and all these corrupt leaders are just perfect. They're exactly playing their role. They signed up for it before this lifetime and we signed up for this and it's just the way it should be. And we just have to keep, you know, living our Dharma, which is for me is to just like learn how to live in a crisis. <laughs> That's my Dharma right now. Become a father, you know, for you, serve plant medicine, learn how to live in a crisis, live by example, you know, whatever it is, uh, we're just doing exactly what we're supposed to do. And uh, the political leaders in the United States, they're doing what they're supposed to do, locking shit down. This is their, this is their path, man. <laughs> and it's, and a result of them locking shit down is doing actually a big favor to a lot of people who need to wake up and they're being woken up by the decisions of people in power. So, you know, that's another perspective. It's like, the, and actually that perspective I find really helpful. It helps me to kind of let go. It helps me to let go of this anger and this blaming. And it's like, oh, well, you know what? If that corrupt motherfucker hadn't done this and said that, I wouldn't be having these realizations right now. And I wouldn't even have had the opportunity to let go of my anger for that person. So thank you, bro. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for fulfilling your role in the big drama life. Thanks, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I, I think, man, again, I, I feel like my biggest part in all of this is detaching from that or trying to keep pulling myself out of those smaller stories of like getting angry at this and getting angry at that and like, there's so many little hooks out there nowadays of, of things I can get upset about, you know, so many un injustices, injustices, yep. <laughs> I was gonna say injustices, injustices that are, you know, passing in front of our eyes over and over and over again. And, you know, I know that my individual coffee doesn't change anything, period. And nor does it help me, nor does it make my day better, nor does it make the day around uh, of the people around me better. And it's like, you know, within this container I have of my home and my neighborhood and Peru in itself, like I have this opportunity to, to focus on new things and to create something new within myself. And man, I actually have to thank all of this for that. If I didn't have a, you know, mm. a crisis or a, or a lockdown, I wouldn't have spent time learning about other things like Bun Tibetan Buddhism. Like what would I be doing? I would just, yeah. you know, I probably be just doing the same thing before. And I have to, you know, point out the fact that a lot of people are awakening uh, or waking up to themselves. They, they're realizing the responsibility they actually have for themselves. They have for uh, their community, their family, um, their country in a many, in a lot of different ways. Um, mm. Yeah. So I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. It is perfect. And it's, you know, I don't think that kind of philosophy of like, it's all exactly as it should be. It, you know, I don't use that as an excuse, like a nihilism, like an excuse. Oh, there's nothing I need to do. You know, it's exactly as it should be. You know, I think that people easily perceive it that way. Um, I still feel you know, and I don't always look at it that way, you know, that it's all perfect. Sometimes it's really hard, but uh, I just get my, my 
perspective right now is to simply just do my best and uh and as it as it relates to other people like hopefully share my own presence and what I've learned along the way with others and um and to learn from other people as well you know I think that's what we're there for but it really comes down to and I go on about this a lot it comes down to like our understanding of what death is like all of this pandemic all of it and it's just realizing that like once we even if if i were to get coronavirus and die tomorrow man it would suck all the way up until i die and then i don't know what happens when i die but i'm pretty sure i just get the sense that when i die once i'm dead I won't be concerned that I died too young or that I died of coronavirus or that I died at all. Like whatever happens, like not, all these concerns and fears about death only exist before we die. And I, you know, maybe it's just a, something that's arising for me is like, maybe this is my calling right now is just to like death education to bring this awareness to people, because I, I think that so much of our society is just running, trying to run from the only inevitable happening. And how differently would this whole world look and would this pandemic have been handled if we were properly informed about dying being an inevitable process, you know? And yeah, so that's just what's coming up for me right now, you know? And and man, when I was faced with the prospect of dying when I was in Gabon last year, I didn't handle it well, dude. Like <laughs> I was fucking losing my shit. And it wasn't even such an immediate threat, even though it felt like it, you know, I, th I really thought that was the end. And so, you know, maybe if I'm faced with that again, maybe I'll handle it differently. I don't know. But I know that I freaked out. Don't get me wrong. I haven't. I don't know that I've overcome how I'll handle dying. Will I die gracefully with a smile? But it's certainly, that whole experience certainly brought some kind of new awareness and perspective about it. And just like knowing that it, you know, it's not the end. And yeah, what if we were to live life, you know, just really embracing how sacred it is and accepting that death is a part of it too. And yeah so well there's a lot of yeah. a lot of really powerful statements in that like i you know embracing death is such a i think a hot topic in the spiritual world and i think a lot of us think we've embraced death but until mm -hmm. we confront it smoking bufo that that potential to be launched in nothingness um froze i still um, hear you okay yeah i mean that that bufo experience for me or the those bufo experiences that we had were such powerful reflectors of like oh actually you're it's not uh an idea anymore here you're facing the experience of dissolution complete dissolution what are you gonna do and the mind and the ego and the body they freak out the 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 mind is like 
so attached to how things are in that moment. Like I was so attached to being Felix and on the floor and smoking, you know, something. It's just, yeah, it's an interesting thing. And I, and I think actually the issue with our world is as much as we try to avoid death in our acts of avoiding death, we're living in death. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of us keep shutting ourselves in more and more and more. I actually saw this video today, this morning of a woman walking through a grocery store, fully wrapped in a plastic box. It was like, she was like walking around in a coffin. Right. You know, and that's death. Pobre. Yeah, I mean, it's you're living in death. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. And it's like that's hell. Death is so much better than that. I think <laughs> <laughs> that's hell on earth. Then you know, that's that's totally. living in our own personal hell. And I mean, I feel for that woman. I see that kind of stuff here too. And you know, it's just like whatever the fear, however the fear got to that person, you know, and. I can only just have compassion and I have no idea what that person's story is and how it came to that, but that's, that's, that's it, you know? And I think Bufo, man, of all the medicines, Bufo really is the one that most drastically kind of brought me to what it feels like. It felt familiar. Like, I think that's what dying is like, like there's something (laughs) about that obliteration and then how I was, my mind wanted to hold on for dear life to this life. And, uh, but I think, you know, doing that a few times, at least we got some practice and some exposure to that process, even though, at least for me, I still freaked out the fourth time I did it. Um, But maybe I held on just a little bit less, you know, there was a more of an openness to it. And, but again, like, I think once we die, none of that even matters because we just slip into an eternal space or something else, you know, I would love to know what happens one day. We'll know <laughs> like how that all unfolds. And, um, I think there's, there are enough teachings on this planet right now for us to, if we want to learn about what happens, you know, read the Tibetan book of the dead or, you know, so many teachings, really wise, deep, deep teachings about that process. And, you, I, I imagine you have some exposure to that already going through um, your Tibetan practices, you know, do you? Yeah. Do you practice? Is there some kind of so, something involved with that? Well, every, every day we chant the the prayer of impermanence. So we keep, mm-hmm. basically it's like a, like a 24 line prayer and you're just at each, each paragraph of this prayer, or each part of this prayer, you're saying, you know, I have been so attached to my life uh, or my idea, or I think that I will live forever. How sad. Mm. Bless me that impermanence will ri- arise in my mind stream. Oh, and yeah. it, it keeps repeating that. Bless me that impermanence will arise in my mind stream. Um, one of the other ones is, uh, I think I will live forever. This is something that has to be purified out of the human mindset. I think I will live forever. How sad. <laughs> Bless me that oh, impermanence wow. will arise in, my, <laughs> arise in my mind stream. And, and man, I, at first when I, we did the first practice, like when we did it with the, wow. with the teacher, like I was like, no, I don't think that. I, I know I'm going to die. And man, there's this thing really deep in my mind that thinks it's going to live forever. Yeah. The, the mind itself can't grasp it, right? Like our ego can't grasp it. It's, we can say that it can, but it can't. 
its very nature can't acknowledge that. Crazy, huh? And yeah, that is crazy. That's like our whole program of how we live life is based on the lie that it lasts forever, you know? And, and again, we can say it. Oh, yeah, I know I'm, I know I'm going to die one day. Uh, but when the ego says that it's lying because it, it, death is not possible to be known by our ego mind, right? <laughs> That's an amazing practice. I can, I mean, when you say it, I could feel it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, it, man, the thing with like reading spiritual texts and doing practices is like, sometimes it can like sit here, like it sits in this place where it's like, yeah, I, I understand that, you know, mm -hmm. conceptually, and even in this, this impermanence practice is like, even though I know and hear about death, I know about death, and I hear about death, I still think that I will not die. And it's like, bless me with uh, that impermanence may arise in my mind stream. And man, like, we're now doing this new part of this practice from this tradition, the bin tradition, which is the dream yoga and the, the practice of learning to lucid dream and, and to open my mindset into dreaming. But one of the big parts of the practice is the, our teacher, Tenzin, he says, at least 15 times a day, stop what you're doing, especially in moments that you're triggered, or especially in the moments that you're having a hard time, uh, especially in the moments where you're afraid, stop and say, this is just a dream. Mm. And really feel that. And it changes the whole context of what you're experiencing completely. Yeah. And this wow. is something that we've, we've just started to practice doing. And what will eventually happen is that that statement, this is just a dream, will start to embed itself within your night world or your dream world. And eventually somebody will come to you and say, hey, this is just a dream. And you'll wake up in your dream. Whoa. So, <laughs> it's like building the, building the muscle to, to lucid dream, you know? And, and it's also like seeing the, the fluidity of the world around you. This is just a dream. I mean, when you were sharing... Like I just had this realization or this, I don't know. It seems so clear in the moment that, and it's been said before, and I, I know this intellectually, but when we when you were talking about it, it was just like the realization that, you know, freedom, like true freedom and awakening is simply if if we can die before we die. If if and these practices that you're talking about are, you know, if, if the mind, if the ego can die before our physical body dies, then we are, that's it. It's like the whole ego is built around, it's, it's built around a grasping of the idea that it's never going to die. And it's, its whole structure is built around that. And if, and there are practices to to break that down and to truly be free of that. And that's, I guess that's, that's what means that's ego death. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> and it, it always seems like just an idea, but sometimes, you know, you just have these glimpses. It's like of this possibility and, um, and just like a glimpse of an understanding of like what the ego actually is. And it's, like in this moment, I just see it as um, it's a structure that's built around uh, 
um, the idea that we're never going to die. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it spends its whole life fighting for that idea until it can't fight anymore. And we can either go with that idea and live, live, you know, be oblivious in the dream the whole time, or we can make the choice to remember that it's a dream and keep reminding ourselves about that and see where that leads. Uh, yeah. Wow. I'm That's enjoying awesome. sharing this part of the dream with you, bro. <laughs> Me too, man. <laughs> but I think that the biggest the thing within all of this, these, you know, these incredible practices and these teachings that are very old and these wisdoms that are very old that are pointing us towards these things is seeing the traps now that put us back into that ego mindset, mm -hmm. into fearing what I have, fearing what'll happen, fearing just fear. <laughs> yeah. And what is the fear ultimately of? Dying. Yeah, I think so, right? Isn't it? If you can really boil down all the fears, is that, I mean, can you think of a fear that doesn't boil down to that? That was big. Do you think of a fear that does not I mean, I think that really my fears are more, they're not of death itself. My fears are of, of like, like if Suffering. the food, yeah. Or like if the food runs out, right. And we all, the city goes into a panic, there's no more food. Like, what is my fear there? I think, yeah, my fear is of like the suffering that would come before the death. And I think that's legit. I mean, but, but then again, like if the fear of death were totally gone, then there wouldn't be suffering even in that moment. It would just be hmm. pain, the pain of starving, but it would be, uh, yeah, it's interesting. But even pain, pain isn't permanent, you know, regardless no. of, you know, it's, it's intensity. It's not permanent. Yeah. So that's, again, it's, it's a, that's another part of the dream that, that captures us, the fear of the temporary pain. Right. Yeah. So, wow. Wow, man. That's powerful practices you're doing. Yeah, it's a really great, I mean, everyone can do these practices. This button tradition is, is available to the public. Like he, this whole tradition is about sharing it with the world. Uh, it's an 18,000 year old tradition. So it's super old. Can you uh, share the link uh, to website so people can find if they are interested? Because I'm actually interested Absolutely. right now. I want to look into this Absolutely. and everything you're doing. So. I know you've shared it with me before, but yeah, if you can share it in the show notes, uh, for sure. out there. Cool. Amazing. Well, Hey Felix, uh, great sharing this dream with you, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> another hour and a half just like flew by in a heartbeat as usual. Holy smokes. <laughs> so yeah. Well, thank well, you for sharing this dream with me. Yeah, dude. Until the next time, thanks to all our listeners out there. And anything else you want to say, Felix? I think that's it. All right, everybody. Keep your head up. Uh, yeah, just keep your head up and know that, you know, just embrace life. Live it. This dream. We got this amazing dream. Yeah. 
And we're in the fourth turning. We're almost out. Yeah, we're almost out. We're two thirds of the way through. And then we're going to have another another cycle where we can have a good time for a while. And then we'll have a, an awakening and then we'll have an unraveling and then another crisis. So anyway, just, yeah. <laughs> but we can look forward to our next, uh, what's the first period called? Uh, the high. The high. I can't wait for that high, man. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> All right. Peace out, everybody. Bye, everybody.